Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 88 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known to all of us by now, of course, as simply DCU. And DCU knows that every dollar counts, and they understand that, and they've got ways to help your money work harder for you. If you love your car, but not your current auto loan, you can refinance with DCU, and that could put you back in the driver's seat with lower monthly payments. They offer the same low rates to their members for new and used vehicles. Find out what DCU could mean to you and your current auto loan when you refinance with them. Just visit dcu.org for more information. All right, before we get to this week's episode, I want to send out some love to some of the people that have Mistress Carrie backstage passes on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie and get one of your own, and it gives you more access to me, a lot more content, pictures, blog posts. You get to submit questions for the Mistress Carrie podcast, private monthly live streams. You get exclusive access to free concert tickets and a lot more. Just go to mistresscarry.com and click the Patreon button. Want to say what's up to Jonathan, Kim, Chillaxin, Donna, Peter, Wendy, Jen, Danielle, Brianna, Michael, Julia, and Christy. Okay, I'm super excited about this week's episode because Slash, well, he's a legend. Not only is he the legendary and infamous guitar player from Guns N' Roses, but he's also one of the most recognizable rock stars and busiest guitar players in the business. Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators are getting ready to release their new album, Four, coming up this Friday, February 11th. The band is also doing a live stream from Studio 60 that day as well. And if you want to see them actually play live, Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators will be at the House of Blues in Boston on Monday night, March 7th. Get all the details on the live stream and the show at the House of Blues in the show notes of this episode. I've been fortunate enough over the years to interview Slash several times, and he's just always been amazing. You can definitely tell he's a guy that really likes his job. With the album, the live stream, and the tour getting ready to kick off, I had a chance to sit down with Slash for a few minutes and talk to him about everything that's going on, how he managed to tour with Guns N' Roses and stay healthy, only to have the band get COVID when he was working with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. We talked about everything from Legos and puzzles and Funko Pops to guitar tone, recording, and touring. What else is there to say? Allow me to introduce you to the one and only Slash. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. 
Zane, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Scary. Yes, Slash. Hey. How are you? Good. It I'm is, good. It's fantastic to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you, albeit virtually, but yeah, it's good. I'll take it any way that well, I can get it. Exactly. I'm like going, I'll take it, whatever. Anyway, hi. Hi. It's been really interesting to see people's environment because we have to do so many of these virtual things. And you've got a bunch of Funko Pops and I have a bunch and I have yours right behind me. Oh, no shit, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is, uh, I got like, I have toys and stuff all over the house. How involved were you with the designing of your Funko? Because it's one of my favorites because of the top hat. I like the ones with the hat, the glasses. Right. Um, no, they did the initial design and they just sent it to me to uh, to approve. And then uh, I think the only thing that was missing was the nose ring. I don't know if that was not, I don't know. Anyway, but other than that, they had it down. It's a, it's because it's so squat. You just have to put the hat and the glasses and it's it's easy. Yeah, but yeah. I love them. I only have the rock and roll ones, but they're kind of hilarious. And so it's funny to see how many people have them in their rooms when I, when I do these interviews. Right. I have, I have a lot of horror ones. When they first came out, I was, I was addicted to them. I've, I've slowed down a little bit. It's, it's, it gets to a point where you become like the Funko Pop house. Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. collect anything else? I mean, you must have tons of memorabilia and obviously guitars. Uh, I collect, I mean, I, I, I collect guitars, not as, a, I hate to call it like collecting them because I mean, I don't collect them like a collector does collect baseball cards, but I have a lot of guitars, but they're all, you know, they're all something that I use at some point or another. Um, I collect uh, a lot of dinosaur stuff. I collect a lot of monster stuff, um, but not like heavy. Like I don't go out looking for really rare stuff and I have to have this. I just pick up shit along the way. And I end up just throwing it around until it looks like I have a lot of stuff, but it's not all real super important. I don't have any rock memorabilia <laughs> at all. Um, not, I mean, nothing related to any bands that I'm in, um, right? Which is, you know, if I ever pass away, I don't have anything that will ever say that I was in a band <laughs> except for the <laughs> um, But uh, I've just never been one to sort of collect stuff on myself, you know? Um, but I, I do have some cool rock books, you know, uh, art and record, uh, you know, like coffee table, rock and roll books, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I talked a lot over the last couple months with Miles, not only about his solo album, but also about the new album four. And I want to get your take on an answer to a question that Miles gave me about you. Because Miles, as you're aware, is a fantastic guitar player in his own right. And I asked him with the different projects that he's in, how his writing style differs from his solo stuff to Alter Bridge to writing with you. 
And he talked about how when it comes to writing with you that it's just like a lyrics and melody thing because you handle all the guitar stuff. I asked Miles, what would Slash do if you called him with a riff idea? And he said there would probably be a long silence and then maybe a little chuckle. And I said... I said, would Slash, like, pat you on the head and be like, oh, that's cute, Miles, you brought me a riff, and he called you the riff master. What would happen if Miles brought you a riff for a song? That's totally not true. (laughs) If Miles Miles came to me with a riff, I'd be like, great, you know, like, what, 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 depending on what the riff is or whatever, but I would be totally open to it. So that's not fair. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I mean, I do, I do sort of, I write constantly and he gets a pretty healthy onslaught of material for me. <laughs> so, so, so uh, I can, I can appreciate why he might say that. He talked about how you're like always playing and through COVID, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of guitar players about their style. Like Zach Wilde only works on songs that he's working on. And then there mm-hmm. are other guitar players that kind of like Jerry Cantrell told me that he kind of files riffs away. How does mm-hmm. it work for you? That's a, that's a, a good question. Um, I do all, I'm, I'm doing a million things at once. Um, so like, okay. So a good example. Okay. During the pandemic, once you'd sort of accepted the fact of how fucked up things were and that you weren't going anywhere, it was a matter of getting, getting back to some sort of semblance of focus. So I started working on demos for this particular record that's coming out in February, the conspirators record. And then I was also recording with Guns N' Roses. Um, and then I was also, I worked with Tom Morello over that period. I did a Black Puma recording over that period. I did a Leslie West, Leslie West uh, thing over that period. And then I was also writing a bunch of stuff, which um, the bulk of which will end up probably on the next uh, Conspirators record. But some of that stuff came ended up on this record that we're doing now. So I, I do, I'm, I'm playing all the time. <laughs> you know, and doing different things. How do you archive the riff ideas when you're playing? Do you, Jerry Cantrell told me that he sings them into his phone. Do you hook up to a recorder? How do you do it? I just, I just play acoustic electric guitar into my phone. And I just, you know, I just stop. What what usually happens is when we're uh, on the road, this is basically historically how we've been doing it since 2010. I'll write stuff in dressing rooms and, and, on the bus and in my hotel room and I'll put those on my phone. And when the tour is over, I'll listen to all the, I'll know which were cool ideas. There'll be like a million things on there. And I know there's some stuff, but there might be something I forgot about. And that's when and I'll start putting those together. And oftentimes what we'll do is I'll have an idea and I'll record it in my phone. And if it's really cool, I'll bring it to sound check. And for like three or four sound checks, we'll just work on that one idea. And a lot of the stuff on this record was born that way. Um, anyway, so then, so then we'll, you know, get together and jam and, and sort of flush out the arrangement and then start pre-production and go and do the record. And that's how we've been doing it up until the pandemic, which sort of slowed everything down. I actually had to do proper demos where I did the guitars and I did the drums on the fucking keyboard and all that kind of stuff and send it over to Miles and the guys. And uh, and a lot of the material was sort of put together that way. And then finally, when the, the uh, restrictions lightened up a little bit, then we all got together for a couple of weeks of pre-production and went out to Nashville and recorded the record. I'm shocked at how much rock music's getting made in Nashville nowadays. It's crazy. 
Well, I mean, you know, all things considered, I was on this record, I was looking to do it with a different producer. And um, so I was like, I was given a very short list of rock and roll producers, contemporary rock and roll producers. And, uh, and Dave Cobb was one of them. And um, I listened to everybody that I was sent. I wasn't familiar with any of them. And Dave had, had done primarily country music, but it was like, if, if you're familiar with country music at all right now, it's pretty much in the same dumbed down pop filter that everything else goes through. So this was really, really cool, very down to earth and organic, old school kind of country performances, which I really liked. But he also recorded that band Rival Sons. And that's my favorite sounding band that I've heard in They're- the last... 10 or so years. They're just so unbelievable. So that was, that was the clincher for me. So I called him and he goes, yeah, man, you know, I'd like to do a, a, a rock and roll record and, you know, and do it live, you know, sort of a la Glenn Johns. And I was like, fuck, that's what I've been trying to do that since I started. And no producer will let me just put the amps in with the drums and just play live like that. And I know they used to do it in the old days and some of my old favorite records were recorded that way. Anyway, as we get further into the millennium and into the future, the less likely it will ever happen that I'll get to record like that. Anyway, so he said the magic word to me, which was recording live in the studio. So um, I said, yeah, let's do it. And we went out to Nashville because that was where his studio is. And he is using the fucking legendary RCA Studio A, which is one of the coolest vibing studios I've ever set foot in. Miles and I also talked about recording that way and how it allows um, the the mistakes to to be left in to give it that imperfect rock and roll sound because technology makes it so easy to perfect everything and then it kind of takes the soul out. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a huge issue with me. Um, I I was working on a Velvet Revolver record, the first Velvet Revolver record, and we we'd uh, we were doing overdubs or something. I don't know, whatever. I left the studio for the day, and I thought, oh fuck, I left something, my house keys or something. So I got in the car and I went back to the studio, and the engineer is sitting at his Pro Tools, and I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, just fixing things. And I was like. And what he was doing was just moving everything. So everything was fucking linear and perfect. And that's just, that's, that's always been a, a, a pet peeve of mine as we get further and further into, like I said, into the future, because Pro Tools is a great tool, but if you overuse it, it sucks all of what rock and roll is about out of the music. It's really, you know. I call anyway, it catfishing. Huh? I call it catfishing. It's like putting it on an Instagram filter. Yeah, 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 totally. It's ridiculous. So anyway, I, I have always, we've always played live in the studio anyway, but I hate headphones. I hate the way the guitars sound in headphones. So I've always gone back into the control room and blasted through the monitors and recorded the guitars there. But I've always wanted to do it where the amps and everything, everybody's in the same room like we were playing in a venue and just keep everything, you know. So we finally got a chance to do that on this record. And uh, and all we did was, you know, on top of it, we did some background vocals, a couple of things of percussion, a couple of harmonies. And, you know, I put some six string bass on top of the riff to make it really heavy. But 90 percent of what you're hearing happened in the moment. And there's that that give and take of the guys playing together that I think. In, in music, like in, there's different genres in uh, rock and roll, blues, um, some R&B, uh, old school R&B, classical music. 
they all need to be played together. It's what makes it happen. Pop music, EDM, some of this other, you know, uh, hip hop, so on and so forth, not so much. But this kind of organic where everybody, there's so many instruments, <clears throat> it has to be done that way to really have the spirit of uh, the kind of records where, that turned me on when I was a kid, where you can't see it, but there's something going on that's exciting. Yeah. A lot of people... Uh, talk about your guitar tone that way, that as soon as you hear one note, you know it's you. And I've been talking to a lot of guitar players about where they think tone comes from. And I wanted to know, since you have one of the most iconic guitar tones ever in rock and roll, what do you attribute your guitar tone to? Well, okay, that's a huge compliment because I'm, you know, talk to any guitar player and they'll tell you they're, they're on the eternal search for tone from the time they picked up the guitar until the time they pushed the music. So that never ends. But tone, I mean, really, when you step back and look at it, I think tone really comes from the player. And what you're trying to do is find the sound that complements what it is that you do, that you feel like you can express yourself with. So you need, you know, a good guitar and a good amp and a, an idea of what you want to sound like is really important. But the rest of it is all you, you know. You're getting ready to go out on the road with Miles and the conspirators, and you've spent some time on the road through COVID. Um, mm. How do you how do you plan to stay healthy and protect a voice like Miles, and still be able to go out there and and play those intimate rock shows and be able to interact with the fans? Well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I did the the Guns tour, which was on a bigger level, but um still you know we managed to get through that and there was some tight protocols in order to be able to pull that off so we're going to sort of um uh adhere to the same principles on this tour which is you just have to for the most part it's really um uh, common sense like how are you going knowing what you're dealing with how do you protect yourself and the whole band and the whole crew has to be on the same page and we all have to we can't deviate from the script um, but it also means actually absolutely no social interaction with people on the outside. There's no backstage after show kind of deal. When you're not on stage and you're not at the venue, then you, it's best to just stick to the hotel and the bus, you know. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to do, but it's the only way to really pull this off. And then even then it's a crapshoot. So you just got to do the best you can. That's at the point where you really got to get along with the band because you're spending way more quality time together than you would normally. Yeah, we, we get along really, really well. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we've been together so long. We play really well together and we get on really well together. But uh, this kind of touring, you know, the, the landscape as it is right now, it's sort of, it's more about the passion for going out and playing live than anything else because the rest of it is a fucking drag. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it that's got to be good for you, and I think you more than almost any other musician I can name probably benefit from it. I saw on Instagram that you spent Christmas at Disney with the kids. Right. Because of the masks, it's got to make it a little bit easier for you to be incognito, which you must kind of like. It is actually one of the, the, the things I've noticed a difference in is people don't know who you are. I mean, I see people I know really well and they're wearing a mask. I don't know who the fuck it is. So they're incognito. If that's what you're trying to achieve, that's, that does help. My hair gives me away every now and again. I was say, yeah, yeah. But for you, like I saw, you know, pictures that people got of you at Disney and I was like, it's kind of, unless you're walking around with a top hat at this point, it's covering your nose ring. It's covered everything else. 
it could be Slash on the roller coaster next to you. Right. Well, I don't know. It's 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 sort of cool. It's sort of cool. Um, with the tour and the date in Boston, which is which is March seventh, by the way, at the House of Blues, it's got to be great for you to finally, even if it's got to be controlled, to have that relationship of give and take with your fans again. Because I know we've missed you guys. What was it like for you as a musician to lose that connection with your audience, with your well, fans? It, it was, I mean, you know, the reality when it kicked in of what was going on, I mean, I can't think of anything that put a bigger damper on on life <laughs> than this event when it first happened because it's it stopped everything i uh i was in in march when it happened it was it was march of 2020 it was uh we were just about guns and roses was just about to go on a world tour starting that month that march and ending the beginning of this year so all that just got shelved right so you're just looking at this 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 expanse of time with no real life idea of when this is going to end so you know you sort of put your optimism hat on and a little bit of denial and you just start working on music and creating and with hopes that this is all going to end soon but and that you're going to be able at some point to get in front of an audience so it's really an exercise in fucking patience you know did and you develop any any new hobbies because you got locked down and couldn't really do anything do you have any non-slash hobbies now yeah, fucking puzzles. You got into them too? We got into puzzles. We got into playing cards. I got it. Well, I'm a Lego freak anyway, but I got into, I, I collect Legos, you know, like I buy a lot of them, but I don't have time to put them together and know where to put them if they were together. <laughs> so I just buy the cool ones just because I like having them. But this was a period where you started putting Legos together and then finding a place in the house where you could actually put it and it was like cool. Um, and a lot of reading. You know, reading was another thing, which uh, I mean, I do a lot anyway, but this now it's it, it, the pandemic. It was like every day sitting and, and, and reading for a couple hours, you know, just sitting by outside. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it really turned into like a very creative period. So there was a lot of playing going on and a lot of writing. But, you know, in answer to what you were saying before, as far as getting in front of an audience and, and that sort of interaction, whatever, there's not really a huge risk between the audience and the band, as long as you don't go stage diving. <laughs> <laughs> then you're sort of pushing it. Well, we are anticipating this year being a massive year in music releases. I think so many people had that creative time. And so the fact that you got the record coming out, it's called four it's out on February 11th and then the tour starts and we're going to see you on March 7th at the house of blues. It'll be from a safe distance with masks, but it's going to be nice to see you again. It will be. It's going to be nice to see you. And it's going to be nice just to get out there and play. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And my condolences to the loss of your friend, Betty White. Oh, Betty, she didn't even make it to her birthday, which I thought at least she was going to be able to enjoy that. Betty, Betty was kick ass. She's about as rock and roll as they come. You know, you might not know it from appearances, but she was a fucking firecracker. Well, I know you guys were friends. So my condolences to you on the loss of your friend. She had a long, illustrious life. So, you know, got to give her that. We should all be so lucky. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations on the album. It was good to see you. Thank you. Good seeing you. And hopefully I'll see you in person in the flesh at some point. Hell yeah. At the House of Blues, March 7th. See ya. You will physically be there. Yes, I'm coming to the show.
All right, cool. You'll know it's me with the hair. I'll just have a mask on. No way I would miss you. (laughs) See you later, Slash. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. There he is, the one and only Slash. The new album, Four, from Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, is coming out this Friday. The band is also doing a live stream from Studio 60 this Friday. And then they're hitting the road with a stop in Boston on Monday, March 7th at the House of Blues. Get details on all of that in the show notes of this podcast. You can also check out the link for the corresponding playlist. Every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast comes with a corresponding playlist that has all of the music that we talked about in this episode. You can also find all of my links there as well. Huge thanks once again to our sponsor, Digital Federal Credit Union. You can find them online at dcu.org. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and follow the Mistress Carrie podcast so you don't miss anything. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report breaks down all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info. And you get it every morning, and it only takes five minutes. Get all the details online at mistresscarry.com. And while you're there, check out my official online store. Hang out with me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carry Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.